Welcome to the Bringing Her Hope podcast. I'm Bethany Bravery, and I'm thrilled that you are here. Each week, I invite a girlfriend on the podcast to share not only the story that God is writing for her, but the story that God is redeeming in her life. I cannot wait for you to meet each and every one of these amazing women who I know will inspire you to also live out the story that God is calling you to, and to give you hope that He will be faithful to redeem your story as well. My guest today is Jennifer Leeson. She married her high school sweetheart, Ralph, and they have three adult children, eight grandchildren, and three great-grands. You see, Jennifer has had more near-death experiences than she can count and is still honestly in the midst of the battle with her health. But God has revealed His faithfulness through it all. Friends, today we're unpacking the topic of what it looks like to trust God as your true north when your life goes south. Has anyone walked through that? I know that I have. I know that there has been a lot of times in my story where I feel like I'm going down this trajectory and then everything stops and everything is pulled out from underneath me. And then what do I do next? And how do I trust God in that? So that's what we're going to unpack today. Can't wait for you to meet her. Jenny, thank you so much for being a guest today. Thank you for asking me. Absolutely. Uh, Jenny, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, I'm um, I'm a mom, I'm a grandma, I'm a wife, I'm a great-grandmother, and um, I serve on the um, board for Mid-Valley Women of Christ. I'm a founding member uh, when Linda David started this um, 12 years ago, and I also am minister through my church, Valley Christian Center, um, with Call to Freedom, which is an inner healing ministry. Um, and I love to pray for the sick and see and see what God wants to do with miracles, signs, and wonders. I love that. Um, so today, friends, we are going to be unpacking this concept of what it looks like to trust God as your true north when life feels like it's going south. I don't know about you, but I know in my life I've experienced where I feel like I kind of have this plan, I have this direction, and then the plan changes and things get stripped away or taken away. And what do we do now? So Jenny, I am so grateful that you are here today. I'm so grateful that you're going to share your story. So ladies, if you have a journal, if you want to take Take notes. You won't want to miss this one. So, Jenny, why don't you take us on your journey? Well, I'm going to I'm going to talk just a small a small part of my journey of um, on a health journey. That um, when I was in my uh, my late 30s, I was experiencing um, a lot of trouble with carpal tunnel in my hands, and a friend suggested that I go to a chiropractor that she knew and to, um, uh, that he could help my carpal tunnel. So I went and, um, and while I was after about the third or fourth visit, I had been there, I was there on the table with my face down and he was working on my neck and I heard a pop in my head that sounded sort of like a champagne cork and my nose started dripping and I thought, well, that's different and making a little puddle on the floor. And when I got up, I told him and he said, oh, your sinus is probably cleared and no problem. And so anyway, I went on my way and then I began to notice that every time I would bend over or tip my head down, it would just flow out of my nose and, but it was clear like water and I thought this is very strange, and uh, it became, at that time, I was welding a Christian bookstore in Albany, and uh, it became a little inconvenient (laughs) if I'm helping customers, and 
And uh, anyway, I went to a, I thought it must be allergies. So I went to an allergy doctor and he did hundreds of dollars of allergy testing to find out that that wasn't the issue. He said, I think you just have chronic post-nasal drip and need to learn to live with it. And I told him that, I said, this just doesn't seem right. I'm soaking my pillow at night. Mm. Um, You know, I just, I think that we need to find out what's wrong. And he kind of just, you know, waved it off like it's no big deal. So on my own, I went to an uh, ear, nose, and throat doctor that we had uh, been to for, and I told him. And it got his attention, and he had me give him a sample. And I went back to work that day, and he called me like within an hour and said, I want you to come right back in. And so I went back into his office, and he said, it's um, it's spinal fluid from around your brain, and it's leaking out your nose. And so I thought, wow, that's a, <laughs> that's a big surprise. And so, but I wasn't too concerned, but he said, well, I've made an appointment for you tomorrow already at a neurosurgeon, and this is, um, this is a big deal because it means you have an open airway to your brain, mm. and you could uh, get a brain infection very quickly. So I went on to the neurosurgeon, and he said, well, were you in a car accident? Did, you know, all these, did, have you had a head injury? And I said, no, I was just at the chiropractor, and this is what happened. And um, so he sent me for an MRI, and they did all this testing, and um, and he said, well, we need to do surgery on this because you can't go on like this, live this way. So I, I thought, well, I still wasn't all that concerned, except the part about the brain surgery was, uh, was pretty disturbing because, mm. you know, talked about shaving my head and all these things that didn't sound like very much fun. But I was so sure that the Lord was going to heal me mm-hmm. and that I wouldn't even have to do that. Mm-hmm. And so um, my husband and I had scheduled to go, already scheduled to go to a conference that was in Tacoma. And I knew that, I mean, there, was, there were always lots of signs and wonders type healings there. And I thought, that's what God's going to do. He's going to heal me there. And it's, you know, it's going to be awesome. And Right, the very first night we were there, the Lord showed me. He said, it's not going to happen like you think. You're going to get to go through this one. And I thought, no, that can't possibly be God. He wouldn't do that. (laughs) And anyway, um, they had warned me not to even go to that conference because they said, you're going to be around a lot of germs, and, you, you know, we don't want you to get sick. And if you got a cold, you could get meningitis within very quickly and be dead in about an hour. And so you just need to stay away from anybody sick. Well, on the way home from that conference, I started feeling sick and had a sore throat and didn't feel well. And by the middle of the night, I had, I woke up and felt like, um, I couldn't, I was disoriented. Like, where was I? Mm. And the next day my husband took me in and, they, and I had strep, I had a strep infection, which can cause meningitis. And so they put me in the hospital and I was actually already scheduled for a craniotomy brain surgery for that very week. And he, uh, the doctor was said, well, we'll have to delay the surgery until you get well. And anyway, long story short, I ended up with the craniotomy and, um, in the hospital, I had, um, while I was in surgery, I thought I had a dream, and 
I, a friend of mine that was an OR nurse that wasn't working on the schedule that day, but she knew me and she thought I was going to go in and observe her surgery. He was watching, observing my surgery. And uh, after I came out of, I had some problems in surgery and, and I was in ICU longer than expected. And when she came to visit me, I said, Mary, the strangest thing happened. I had a dream during surgery and and she knew, and I knew that you don't dream during during when you're under general anesthetic. But mm. she said, "What did you see?" And I said, "Well," and I told her everything where everybody was and and where everybody was standing, and I how I saw the you know the saw where they took my skull off and <laughs> where all the MRIs and where every doctor was standing. And she just her mouth just flew open, and she goes, "You could not have known that you." you actually saw that. And she said, has anybody told you that you died during surgery? Oh my and goodness. I said, no, <laughs> they haven't. And so she let me in on that little piece of information. And I knew that there had been some problems, but they hadn't really talked too much about that to me. Well, during surgery, I had a, um, she said she watched the surgeon pick up the, my right temporal lobe of my brain. And she thought, what is he doing? She's going to bleed when he did that. And I did. And I had a pretty big um, brain hemorrhage and lost a lot of blood. And normally brain surgery is kind of a bloodless type surgery. You don't usually bleed a lot. And I lost a lot of blood. And and then um, she said he actually took part of, you know, dissected part of your brain. And so then I talked to the doctor about it later and he said, yes, you did die. And the um, the anesthesiologist did a maneuver um, to bring you back. And when I was in that out-of-body experience, I was up in the, uh, like, kind of up in the corner of the room, up by the ceiling, watching what was going on. Mm. It didn't feel scary. It didn't, I didn't even think, what am I doing? <laughs> I'm down there, but I'm right here. And I, I was aware of somebody to my right and by the doors into the OR. And when I told my I told my friend that she said, "Well, that's exactly where I was standing, where wow. she was standing." And anyway, so but then I just was observing all that, and today it's still as clear as it was when it happened. And then I just felt myself go like back into into my body. So anyway, the doctor talked to me about it, and he said, "Well, he goes, we did have to um, to dissect the tip of your right temporal lobe off." But he laughed, and he goes, you'll never miss it. And so, anyway, I came out of that surgery with a, about a $70,000 haircut, and I was still leaking spinal fluid out my nose. Oh, my goodness. So you go from, you know, getting this phone call, you go from, you know, thinking that this might just be an ear, nose, throat specialist concept, and everything is already in your world changing upside down. Plus, you're also believing in the power of prayer. So where were your emotions at this time? Kind of, were you wrestling with the Lord? Were you were you questioning what was going to happen? Where were you? Well, I was really, <clears throat> my. I knew that I belonged to the Lord, and so mm-hmm. that my times are in His hands. Mm-hmm. But to be real honest, it was hard. Yeah. And it was, you know, at the time I had, I had kids, um, I still had two children at home, and I was, um, and it was a hard time. I mean, it was scary for my kids, and it was, um, you know, and I thought, you know, I didn't know what was going to happen, 
And um, going into brain surgery is different than going in, I think, for than any other kind of surgery except maybe heart surgery. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Because the brain surgery, I mean, they're dealing with who, like, who you are. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, they make a big mistake there, and you're, it's like you're not you anymore. You know, and I had people in my life that well-meaning, but that had said that, you know, that um, if I only had enough faith, mm. <laughs> that I'd be healed. And that God, when I told them that the Lord told me I was going to get to go through this, they said, oh, God would never tell you that. Mm. That's not His will. You know, you're not hearing right. And I had people say, oh, you've embraced your illness. And, you know, it's like, oh, my goodness, you know, the Job's friends, you know, I mean, that's in the Bible, but it just keeps going on today. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I mean, I want to speak to you right now, just the woman who's listening, and maybe they're not going through a health situation. Maybe they're walking through a divorce, or maybe they have a child who's sick, or I don't know what what your story is, but she just said it right then and there. Like that's a lie from the enemy. When someone says that, um, that is based on your faith. So we want to just counter that right now and (laughs) um, replace it with the truth that, you know, the word, just like she said with Job, the word says that there will be trials, that this life will be hard, but that he will be with us. So I came home with, you know, with the doctor saying, well, we're going to have to deal with this because you're still leaking spinal fluid from out from, your nose and and um, the radiologist had told this particular neurosurgeon where they thought the leak was and they said we think it's in the clivus area clivus is a is a fairly thick bone in the center of your head that supports your brain and my neurosurgeon said I don't believe that's true he said um, nobody ever in medical history documented has had a leak in their clivus and I don't think that that's it and Already, it was a real rare thing because um, it was. They said the odds of having a spontaneous CSF leak were like a one in a hundred million, and so I kind of quickly made up my mind that I wasn't going to go back to this same neurosurgeon, and he was the only one in our area, and um, in the Albany Corvallis area. And I was kind of looking around. I shopped around. I went to a neurosurgeon in in Eugene, and. And once you're a real rare case, it's like everybody wants their hands on you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, they began to, a couple of them that I went to get refer, you know, referred to and get second opinions, they really wanted, you know, they wanted to do it because I think they saw that their names would get into a medical journal. Mm-hmm. So I went to an ear, nose, and throat doctor in Corvallis and to get an opinion. And I remember sitting in that waiting room and saying, Lord, I really need to hear from you on this. It's not like these doctors. I felt like I had already had a really bad situation. And it was, you know, and I felt like these guys don't have a red or green light on their head. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, like, pick me, pick me. And and there are some doctors that aren't so good and some that are great. And and I said, I really need your wisdom. I need to hear from you. And when I went in there and saw that doctor, he looked at me and he said, you know what? He said, I don't know where you should go, but I wouldn't stay here. And oh, he wow. said, I feel like you've been, you know, you've gone through more than what you should have. Hmm. And just the things he was saying, but being very careful. Yeah. He, in other words, I, I needed to go elsewhere. And I left there, and I thanked him. I said, thank you so much. I really appreciate your wisdom on this. And 
And so at the time, I had kind of gone back to work just a little bit at the um, at the Christian bookstore, and Ben Carson's book, Gifted Hands, had come out earlier in the year, and I watched his interview with Barbara Walters on TV, and, and a friend of mine came in, and she loved bi- she loved biographies, and she had, she bought that book, and she said, and she came back in one day, and she said, "Oh, Jenny, you've got to read this. It'll be really interesting to you because of having the brain surgery." And so I said, "Okay." So I read it, and then I thought, "Well, maybe he would know." And I know he's a pediatric brain surgeon, but maybe he would know why, because the big question was, why did this happen, and mm. and all of those kind of questions. So. I just thought, I'm going to call Hopkins and John Hopkins in Baltimore and see if they'll give me his phone number to his office. Absolutely. So I called John Hopkins and I asked them if they would do that. And they said, well, it's here in the hospital and we'll put you through. So they put me through to his office and his receptionist answered. And I said, I realize that he is a pediatric neurosurgeon and I am an adult. But I said, I have this really weird thing, and I told her what had happened, and I said, and I had this brain hemorrhage, and I'm still leaking spinal fluid, and I just need some advice. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, he's a Christian. I just thought maybe he could, he could give me some wisdom. Well, the, next, the very next day, that was like a Tuesday, and the next day I was out and about, and I got a call on my cell phone, and it was, um, and it was Ben Carson, and he said, "I I want to see all your stuff." Wow. He said, "I want to see your, you know, your MRIs, your CAT scans, your operative report, and so um, we want you to overnight them to to our office." And so I was like, "Oh, okay." So I did that, and then the day after that, they received them. I got another phone call. And, um, and he said, we have you scheduled for surgery next week. And I said, wait a minute. I don't know how that's going to work. <laughs> I'll and, have to check you know, my we, schedule, we, Ben. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know. And my husband had taken all of his vacation time mm. with my first, with my craniotomy. And, and um, anyway, he said, well, he said, Jenny, you live in the worst part of the country for mm. what you've got going on. He said, you live in an area that's known for, you know, virus and, and um, you know, that it never gets hot enough or cold enough, long enough to kill everything. And he said, it's not a question of when you get, if, when you get, if you get meningitis, it's when. Mm. And he said, you've got to take care of this. And so I said, okay. And so I got off the phone and, and, uh, told, and told my husband and, and we prayed about it, and then um, within just a few hours, I got a phone call from a friend that I hadn't seen for probably a year, and she had moved to Vancouver, Washington, and been to she had been living in Arizona, helping taking care of a sick parent. And she said, "Hey, I heard that you that you had surgery, and that you were looking at another surgery." And she said, "I don't normally have my TV on, but today I was I had it on." And they were interviewing this doctor that they say he has gifted hands and he's a brain surgeon. Mm. And the Lord told me you need to go to him. Confirmation. <laughs> said, oh, oh my goodness. My goodness. <laughs> oh my goodness. I, <laughs> I said, I've already talked to him. And I said, he wants me to come next Monday. 
and wow. for testing and tooth fee is scheduled for surgery and I don't know how we're going to do this. We, you know, we need plane tickets. We need, we'll have to be there for a couple of weeks. I just don't know. And she said, well, I don't either, but I'm going to get off and pray. Mm. And when she prayed, the Lord showed her that they had mileage plus tickets and oh she called gosh. her husband and he said, yes. And so she called United and got them transferred and she called me back and said, could you meet, um, my husband and I in Woodburn tonight at about 7.30, and we'd like to pray with you guys. Mm -hmm. And I said, sure. And anyway, when we got there, then she handed me the tickets, and she said, you leave on Sunday out of Eugene (laughs) for Baltimore. And it was God just provided every single thing we needed. I love that. Jenny, let's talk talk about this faithfulness. So we were saying that we are going to have to walk through trials, but with those trials, he's going to hold us. So I just want to kind of re-step back a little bit. Where you started praying for a closed door, a doctor said he couldn't take you, right? Where Uh you started reading a book, that made you make a phone call to John Hopkins, where then a friend called and confirmed that Ben Carson was probably the best person for your situation. Where the plane tickets are provided when there was a need that's provided. He has been holding your hand every step of the way through this journey. And he's going to do that for you listeners as well. He he will not call us to something if he's not going to equip us. And it's you staying close to him and discerning the voice of Jesus. Man, it's just impactful to me just hearing your story, how faithful he is, but also how powerful prayer is. So why don't you share a little bit about that? Before I knew where I was going to go, that I was going to go to Hopkins, there was one evening where I was so discouraged, and Mm. I just felt like I must be the weirdest person on the planet because I had this strange thing, and, you know, I had these different doctors that wanted to do this surgery, but I wasn't feeling real good about it, and then this ENT that I saw who was, wouldn't be doing all of the surgery, but would be like if they went up through my, because the, well, the radiologist initially had said, we think it's in the clivus and we think that you should go a frontal approach um, through her nose. And the and the neurosurgeon said, oh no, there's never been a leak there. I'm going to do a craniotomy through the side of her head. And, um, and actually the approach through the nose is more risky, mm. but that's where they felt I should go. And I was so discouraged. I remember I left home one night. I was so, I was depressed. And I just felt like I, I felt like God was being silent to me at that moment. And I, and I left and I just, it was like midnight and I walked out of the house and I just walked down the street and I was just crying out to God. And I said, I looked up at the sky and I said, Lord, Mm. I said, have you just like stepped off the planet? Yeah. I am not hearing you. I, you know, do you even care Mm. what's going on right here? And I went back home, and I opened up my Bible, and the Lord just spoke to me and said that He was sending He was sending an angel mm. to show me in the way I should go. And mm. right now, I can't think of where that's. There's a scripture about that. It's in the Old Testament. And the very next day, things started happening that put this all in place for mm. Ben Carson to uh, to get me to Baltimore. Wow! Incredible. Yeah, I mean, he just, you know, and so those times when you feel like God is just being so silent and you're not getting any direction, he really is mm-hmm. on it. Mm-hmm. He's always on it. Yeah. <laughs> and and he already knew what was going to happen. 
but anyway, that I ended up in Baltimore and had um, and Ben Carson was he is an awesome man of God and he's funny and just um, you know he was delightful and he had to go through all the things with me about um, uh, you know the risk involved which were huge and when they do a frontal through the nose approach they they actually do an incision in your mouth and break your nose and pull up your face. <laughs> I don't know, clip it to your forehead. I don't oh know my. what they do. But anyway, they, they're very creative. And um, go to the center of your head through your nose and through your sinuses. And um, and he said, you know, this is, you know, it's risky. He said, you have a you have a 70% chance of, of, of um, coming out blind. You have a 50% chance of stroking <laughs> out. You have, you know, and he went through all the things that could happen. And then he looked at me and he said, but, he goes, your job tonight is to just rest in Jesus wow. and to and to sleep and get a good night's sleep for surgery in the morning. And he said, my job is, he goes, I'm going to go home and I'm going to pray for you. Mm. And I'm, and I know that God is in control. Mm. So and how, how so, are you feeling when he's explaining this? And I love that he's pointing to Jesus and I love that he's encouraging you in your faith and to be praying, but how are your true emotions? How are you feeling at that moment? It was scary. Yeah, yeah it was really scary. And as, I mean, I thought, oh, my goodness, here I'm away from my family. And my husband was with me, but my kids were, you know, my rest of my family's all back in Oregon. And I just felt, um, I felt alone. Mm. And I, and then, you know, your mind tends to go to all the what ifs. Yeah. What if I die here? Mm-hmm. <laughs> How, you know, all the things that are going to, that could happen. But then I thought, but then I had to look back and think, no, you know, God, you brought me here, you know, and I don't know what's going to happen. But that evening before I went to bed, I was praying. I went into the bedroom and we were in a suite in a hotel downtown Baltimore that gives um, really good discounts for uh, Hopkins patients because people come to Hopkins from all over the world with hard cases. And I went into the bedroom and I was praying and the Lord just gave me a picture of, of a huge rocking chair and he was rocking in it and he had me on his lap and he was and he had my face my head up by at his face and he was stroking the side of my face like you would a little child that mm. you just adore and love and you know just like oh you're so precious and he said when you belong to me he said i am the only one that takes you home mm, amen wow that's and a he picture said, you he said you're in my hands and I'm the only the enemy cannot take your life before it's time mm. when your life is committed to me. And so anyway, that gave me great peace. <laughs> and I thought, okay, Lord, here we go. Mm-hmm. So the next morning I go for, you know, go into and they try to put the IV in and I am just a real hard stick. And then, and because I'd had a pretty major surgery and have had a lot of IVs because of that, they couldn't get an IV in, and so they um, they finally call in the head um, the head anesthesiologist out of another surgery room, and he comes in and he goes, "Okay, I've got this one in," and he goes, "We'll dig around for a better one after she's out." Oh my and that's gosh. the last thing I hear. And in my head, I'm saying, "Okay, Lord, this is just you and me." I said, 
I, you know, I'm asking for a perfect, for a very good result. But I said, you know, I feel like it's a win-win. If you take me home, I win Mm. because I'm with you. And if you heal me through this surgery, I win. Please just don't leave me drooling on the couch. Mm. And so anyway, then the first thing they ask when I wake up is, can you see? And because the odds of they're working within a hair's breadth of the main optical nerve. And if they touch it, you will be blind. And so they asked me, are you, you know, can you see? I can see. Everything looked good. And so it appeared that, you know, I mean, that I had a, a good result. And um, and so I was in the hospital for a while. I was in, uh, it was very, it was very painful surgery. And I, in ICU, I couldn't, um, I had to lay flat on my back because, uh, the spinal fluid was being to keep the pressure off. They had done some graphs, and to keep the pressure off, they were draining my spinal fluid into a bag. And um, so, but terrible, painful. They wouldn't let me see myself in a mirror because I was really bruised and looked bad. And I remember one night I was so discouraged, and I was laying there, and I was lonely. And uh, my husband would go back to the hotel at seven at night. He'd be there all day long. And then he'd go back, and I was laying there awake, and I said, oh, Lord, why did you send me so far away? I miss my kids. I miss my family. And the Lord said, because I wanted the best. Mm. And and, um, and I said, why is this? It's so weird. And, you know, they, they had people coming in and, you know, all kinds of students and looking at, it's a teaching hospital, looking at me. And, you know, I felt kind of like a freak of nature because this was such a weird thing. And then where they found the leak, it was through the clivus, through this bone, and they, there was a channel through it. And the dura, the covering around the brain, had worked its way through that, probably through that, they they feel like through that chiropractic manipulation, had ballooned out because the cranial pressure increases when you have chiropractic and um, normally that's not a problem for anybody but when you've got a situation like this it was and it ballooned out and then blew like a balloon would pop and that's the pop that I heard was my dura that popped and uh, so anyway they went in and did patches on all of that and um, anyway I I told the Lord, I said, why, why is this? Did I do something? What is it? And he said, this isn't because of anything you have or haven't done. This is a part of your life. You mm. live in a fallen world mm-hmm. and things happen. And he said, but the good news is, is that I'm in it with you. Amen. I've always been with you. I'm, I'm, and you're going to get through this. And so anyway, I knew at that point that, you know, things were going to, no matter what the you know, outcome, because at that point, they didn't know whether they had fixed it or not. And um, so I left the hospital, and I was doing pretty well. And and on the plane ride home, I was talking to the Lord. We're up, you know, like 30,000 feet, and the Lord spoke to me, and he said, there was a time when Jesus couldn't go back to Nazareth, and it wasn't home anymore. And he said, you're never you're never going home again. I mean, you know, it's going to be always different from here on. And at the time, I didn't realize uh, everything he meant. And he said, there'll come a day when you wouldn't have done this any other way mm. because wow. of what you've learned. And um, and over the years then, I've really seen, been able to see what he meant with all that. Because once you've been through those kind of places with God, 
things aren't the same. Mm-hmm. Nothing's the same. And I had had such deep, uh, intimate moments with the Lord through all of this, where it felt like it was real, where it was real life and death, and and where He's brought me through. That even to explain it to people. You know, I I remember trying to explain it to my kids. It was like, oh, my goodness, God is so good, and He's so wonderful. And I'm trying to explain it, and they're just, like, not even paying attention. And I'm thinking, how can you not hear what I'm saying, mm. you know? But it, I don't think most people get it until it's personal for them to see how what God does. But Absolutely. I about six months after that, I was doing really well. So about six months later, I was uh, working for a different Christian bookstore, and I went to CBA, which is Christian Booksellers Association. It was in San Diego that year. And I went and had a rough plane trip on the way back. And um, and I began to leak spinal fluid again, but down my throat. Oh, my goodness. And what's going through your mind as this is dripping down your throat now? What What questions are circling in your brain right now? Oh, I'm thinking, oh, no. I mean, I'm just sick. And I immediately went to that panic place, mm-hmm. you know, because it's like, you know, you can, once you've done that surgery, yeah, you don't want to do it again. It's just nasty, and you just do not want to go there. And so when I got back, I called um, Ben Carson's office, and I talked to them, and they said, well, we're going to send you to Portland to OHSU and have some tests done. And so they did, and um, they came back positive that I was leaking spinal fluid. And so um, it ended up being almost, a, it was exactly a year to the date that I had surgery again at Hopkins wow. for the same thing. And, um, and anyway, Dr. Carson, you know, came in and said, you know, you can't, um, you have to keep trying with this. He said, it's a hard problem to fix, but... We have to keep trying. You can't live with a CSF leak. Mm-hmm. You're too young. And so anyway, I I went through the same thing again and went back home. And, um, and it wasn't too long after that that I began leaking again. Wow. And I thought, oh, my goodness, I just can't do this anymore. And every time I had gone, I mean, to back to Hopkins or whatever, the Lord had really directed that and and opened those doors and and now they wanted me to come back and do it but I really didn't feel that I was to do it every time you have that surgery done there's more scar tissue and the the odds increase of coming out blind or having a stroke so I just didn't feel like I wanted to chance it and at the time I didn't know whether that was a lack of faith that I wasn't trusting God in that or what? But I thought, no, Lord, it's not leaking out my nose, so it's not real inconvenient. It's just down my throat sometimes, and I'm not going to, I'm just, you know, we're just going to wait and see. And that's kind of just how I felt, like I had peace about that. Mm. And um, so probably, and I thought, if you keep me healthy, I'm good. I'll try to do what I can to stay away from sick people. And, but, you know, I didn't isolate. I was still you know, working off and on, and I wasn't, um, you know, I just kind of let it go out of my mind. And I got prayed when it was, when I could. I mean, I went to all kinds of prayer services, and I had been doing that all along and and getting prayed for. And 
But other than that, I just kind of thought, well, it's just on hold, whatever, you know, if God keeps me healthy, it's not, it's, it's going to be okay. And then one day when I wasn't even paying attention, I mean, I just think this is where Jehovah Sneaky comes in. The Lord just healed me. And all of a sudden, I wasn't leaking anymore, and I was fine. And I thought, <laughs> just crazy. I mean, it's like all the prayer, and I feel like the bowls just got full and tipped, and I was healed. Let's talk about just right before that, before you got your healing, it sounds like God was kind of telling you to like practice this pause, like to still do what you were supposed to be doing, to still do what you could do, but you just didn't have this peace. You kind of had this unrest about doing another surgery. Um, Mm -hmm. This is such an interesting concept because, you know, sometimes we're always looking for a door that's a yes door or a door that's a no door. But there's also this kind of in-between where we're just waiting in this hallway and we're trying to, we we think we need to do something, but sometimes he just says, just wait, know that I'm working behind the scenes, know that I'm working around. I know that in my life that happened this last year, I felt like for about a month that I was supposed to just practice the pause. And it was when I'm kind of like this to-do list person and I'm ready for the next thing, or I need to know which direction I'm supposed to take. Um, I did that. And then he was so evident to reveal to me step by step what the plan was once it came together. But there was such power in the pause. And I think for me, even with power in the pause, it allowed me to drive into him, you know, more deeper and to want to hear his voice more and to be so in step with him. So I love that when he told you to pause, you paused and you were obedient that. And then in the end, he ended up healing you. That's incredible. I love that. Yeah. I mean, it really, there's, I mean, I, I totally agree. It's so powerful and you don't, most of the time you don't understand it when you're going through it Yep. No. and you don't see it until you look back on it. But it really was, it was a pause time, and it was, it ended up being the first of many pause times in my life. Mm. And now I'm not, I don't fight it as much when it happens. I mean, that's one thing I've learned, that when God just says pause mm. and rest, and He's not giving you, and I know that, I mean, He's He's really taught me through all of this. I've had about, you know, I've had about, uh, I think about, I've lost track, but maybe 22 surgeries. Wow. And um, all together. And this all kind of started it. I had had a few up before that for other things, but this kind of started it probably um, about less than 10 years after all of this, about seven years, I guess, I ended up with a uh, diagnosed with a brain tumor that was totally unrelated to this. And, um, and then they went through that same approach, you know, to do the, <laughs> to take out my brain tumor. It was a pituitary tumor. And it was the weirdest thing it could have been. It was it was the odds of it were three in a million. Mm. And um, I ended up for that surgery at um, at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. But um, there, I've learned that God really does lead through peace. Yes. And whenever you're feeling anxious about it and like anxious about a decision, that that's that's not God. I mm-hmm. mean, He will give you peace as you seek Him in that if it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And I really take that unrest and anxiety as a, as a, you know, a red light mm-hmm. to just wait. And mm-hmm. then to, you know, and then you live in the yellow where it's just like, okay, proceed with caution and just pause, just yeah. wait a while yeah. and see what he's going to do in it. Well, and I love to like, 
what you said too is we are going to have peace in the situation. It doesn't mean all the circumstances are going to be fixed and everything's going to come together. It's it's just this this peace, this overwhelming knowing that God has you and that he's right. going to show you the next step. I think sometimes we can get confused with, oh, our peace is because this and this and this need to come together, but that's not always how it works. Sometimes it's all, life is all in chaos and you're still right. feeling like, I don't know why I have this peace. I have no idea why I have this knowing that he has me, but I know that he does. Yes. And he is, I mean, and I know without a shadow of doubt, he is always on it. I mean, he is working behind the scenes mm. that we don't see. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and he, and he's bringing it about whether it's bringing the right person that has the, that has the direction, you know, that's going to give you insight into what direction you should take or, or whatever that is. But he is always on it and he has the answer for it. And Mm -hmm. I have to remind myself of that. You'd think after so many times you'd get used to that, but in some ways I have, but I still continue to go through that. Mm -hmm. And with the situation that I'm going through right now, and it's just, physically. And I, you know, and I've had my times of being angry with God and Mm -hmm. being disappointed and feeling like time after time, like he threw me under the bus. Mm -hmm. And I, where I thought, Lord, I have loved you all my life. Right. And I feel like, where are you in this? Mm -hmm. I mean, all I wanted was a regular life. Yeah. (laughs) And my life is crazy now Mm -hmm. with, with medical bills. We have paid probably so many doctors, kids through college with our, you know, I mean, our finances have just flown out the window with medical. And Mm -hmm. I just think, and when you're the person in the family that that's, you've been the focus of the, you know, the cost financially, Mm -hmm. it really feels, it doesn't feel good. (laughs) And you feel really guilty about that. And you feel really responsible for, you know, for having, you know, for lack in some areas because you've had to just continue to pay out for medical. But, you know, I, but I, you just have to go back to that award, you know, our finances are in your hands too, Mm -hmm. and that you're going to provide. And he has been, I mean, he's just done miraculous things over the years to provide for us in those medical situations when we needed it. Mm. And my family, I'm so fortunate. I mean, my my husband has been wonderful as far as um, I couldn't have asked for a better caregiver. He's when he's needed to be, and he's all he's never ever made me feel like it was my fault mm. that you know that that um, that the finances went how they had to go. I love that. I was thinking about too. You know, you were a mom. You had kids. You were trying to be a wife. What did community look like for you um, as you were navigating through all of this? And as we're listening, as listeners, maybe we're not walking through something. But how can we be community to someone else? Um, I think it's really important to listen. And when you've got a friend that's going through um, hard physical things, and um, to be just a friend to listen Mm -hmm. and to say, you know, I love you. What could I do for you? And even, and, you know, my tendency has always been to, if somebody says, what can I do for you? It's like, oh, no, I'm fine. I'm always just fine. I'm known as my, you know, to my friends as the fine girl. I'm always, I never want to say too much, you know, like, no, I could really use this or that. And I want to be okay. I don't want to be, I want to be normal, whatever that is. I want to be, you know, I don't want to have to be the one in need. 
And I would much rather, it's much more fun to be the one to be on the giving side than mm-hmm. it is to be on the receiving side, I mm-hmm. think. And, but I would say that if you've got a friend that's, that's like that, to just pray and ask God what you can do, because probably if you're going to ask them, you're not going to get an answer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's true. That's very true. And, you know, because most of the time you don't say. And then also just to be a listening ear mm-hmm. and to pray. And I am so thankful for my girlfriends. I've got some girlfriends that we've been through a lot together for many years. Some of us have been friends since our children were little, and now our kids are middle-aged. And and they um, and they have always really been there for me to pray and to um, and to get together with me, and um, you know, so that I never, you know, isolated because when I would feel like isolating and um, and one time, especially after the first two brain surgeries, and I was leaking again. I was very, very discouraged and really went through a time of depression, and I really did isolate. I didn't want to see anybody. I didn't want to go anywhere, and um, anyway, they but they just kept on, you know. They did not let it go, and I really am thankful for that, but I am very thankful for good friends. Mm, absolutely. So what does life look like for you now, Jenny? Well, <clears throat> since all that, I mean, I had other, you know, brain surgery, I mean, surgeries for brain tumor and all that, and then and that was six, super successful, so that was good. But the, the type of tumor it was, it really, I probably had it for 15 years before they diagnosed it, and it can do as much damage. It would eventually kill you if you didn't get it diagnosed. It's called acromegaly. You have it before puberty, you become a giant. After puberty, you just get ugly, and it makes everything grow. And it made all my internal organs grow, all my bones grow, and it changes the consistency of your bones, actually. And so um, now I'm living with, you know, post, you know, acromegaly as as I've gotten older, and there's not a lot of research that's done on it because it's a very, it's in the rare disease category. And I have osteoporosis. I have, I mean, I have all these autoimmune diseases, Sjogren's and problems with my eyes and um, all these different things and problems with my joints. And um, right uh, in July, I fell and um, just, you know, crazy, wasn't paying attention, I guess, watering the plants on my front porch. And I stepped backwards, fell off about just only about a foot off my front porch. But, um got up okay, but the next day my hip hurt, and I went in and talked to my doctor, the um, an orthopedic doctor that said, oh, it's not, if you if you hurt your hip, you broke it, you wouldn't be able to walk, and it's got to be your back, and sent me to physical therapy, and, you know, all this put me on tons of prednisone and all this stuff, and I was just getting worse and worse. Finally, by Thanksgiving time, I could hardly walk. I mean, it was just like razor blades in my joint Mm. and I begged for an MRI of my hip and they finally did that and it was like oh my goodness (laughs) you have a fracture in your femoral head and and, uh the bone's dead now (laughs) and so probably the you know the all the cortisone they gave me killed the bone and um anyway so they couldn't get me in they said you need a hip replacement they couldn't get me in for a while for a couple months because of um scheduling issues. So I decided to try stem cell therapy. And so my husband and I prayed about it. We felt good about it. And I went to a clinic in Portland that's uh, run by a 
doctor that's from Israel, and they did stem cell injections in my hip and my knee because I also need a knee replacement, and then IV stem cells because of um, my autoimmune stuff because they then go where there's uh, areas of high concentration of uh, inflammation. And so I'm walking through that now. So I would say I'm really living in a very long pause right now because it's a very slow, it's not a quick fix. Mm -hmm. It's not, um, and um, I'm not against having a a hip replacement. It's just they get me in there for a while. And now if I would rush into it, um, it would take out anything that the stem cells have done. Mm -hmm. And so the potential is there for the stem cells to heal that and to, you know, regenerate cartilage and to do all that. They've had some really good results with it. And I am better than I was, but I still have lots of pain. And um, some days I feel like I'm doing much better. And then I go through maybe a month of feeling like I really went backwards. So I we really, we're at that point where we really felt like we did what the Lord showed us to do. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a lot of money, and yeah. insurance doesn't pay for it. And I had some criticism <laughs> from well-meaning people sometimes about, you know, well, you know, maybe you should have, you know, with a doctor, uh, specifically my rheumatologist was not on board with this after I'd done it at all. But... <clears throat> We really felt like we did what the Lord showed us to do, mm-hmm. and so now I'm waiting to see. And it can be a long process. It can be four to nine months. Um, but in the meantime, the Lord's given me some real encouragement with just in the last few weeks with a couple of people in my life that when they found out I was having that I had that done, said, oh, my goodness, one of them was, you know, a friend of mine on, on the board for Mid-Valley Women of Christ, which is my husband had had um had stem cell therapy in his knee and it's like he's got a brand new knee and you know and and then somebody else just told me just this week that they had had um that they knew somebody that had stem cell therapy and it totally worked and so i feel like the lord's giving me some encouragement Mm -hmm. as i get down with it and so i'm just in that pause place where i feel like um i've had my days where i feel like my life is so changed, mm-hmm. you know, and the, the whole brain tumor thing just changed my life so much because that disease, I mean, that acromegaly just changes everything and in your body. The enemy would like you to think that, you know, that you're just so weird, <laughs> you know, that you have all these really weird things and, and that God really has thrown you under the bus. Mm-hmm. My life isn't what I'd hoped it would be. I mean, I my husband's now retired, and where we, you know, I'd hoped we'd be able to travel or do some things, and it's like, man, I'm just, I mean, I'm not even grocery shopping because of my, I mean, aside from all the coronavirus stuff and where I shouldn't probably be doing that because I'm compromised, but I mean, I couldn't even do it if I wanted to because mm-hmm. it's just painful. So, you know, the things that I'd like to be doing, I'm not doing, and so I really am in that pause, that it is a real time where I'm just seeking God and saying, you know, I know you're not done with me. Mm -hmm. I know that I have things in my destiny you called for me that I haven't done yet. I mean, Mm -hmm. I love to do short-term missions. I've gone to Israel and to to, um, Sierra Leone and to uh, India, and I love doing that. And... I and I just feel like I'm not done, mm. and so. Um, but I need to have a body that works better to do those things. So I'm just seeking God. 
and and knowing that whatever happens, that he's in control. My times are in his hands. Absolutely. I love that. And I want that reminder for everyone that's listening is you are not done. He is not done with your story. Um, it's so interesting because each episode is a story of God's redemption. And you might listen to this podcast podcast episode and question or wonder, well, where's the redemption in this? And what I love about it is it's not even based on the circumstances. It's not based on that everything is tied up in a pretty bow or there's a white picket fence around it. You're in the middle of it. You're in the thick of it. But where I've seen the redemption, just as you shared the story, is in your heart. In your in your desire to be close to him, and your desire to have this open handed approach to say, Lord, whatever you want to do with my story, use it. Such an in- inspiration to us, girl. I I can't even believe it. Um, man, you have walked through so much. The w- one question that we always ask on the Bringing Her Hope podcast as we kind of close is, what's something that you're passionate about? And I'm curious what that is for you right now. Well, as um, as I said before, I'm involved with um, with uh, inner healing ministry in my church with Call to Freedom, and you don't have to go to our church to be to go through that at all. And um, I am usually I'm involved in the in the blessing part, which is always the last one, and where I love that because it's just fun. Because the other sessions, the person is really working through hard issues, and when they come for the last one, which is the blessing, we just get to bless them. Mm. They just get to sit there and. We prophesy over them. We just bless them, and it's and it's just awesome to see the transformation of um, the of the life when they've gone through that, and for them to begin the light bulb to begin to come on of how God sees them and who they are in Christ. Mm, and um, so I love that. I love um, I love Mid Valley Women of Christ, and I love our our um, from the get go our mission statement. You know that. Uh, of reaching these women with Bible studies. And um, even though we do, um, you know, a praise gathering at the end, we do to the two Bible studies a year, um, really the focus and where things happen isn't the, so much isn't the praise gathering. That's kind of a cherry on top, and that's not what I see as a founding member of been our main focus. But the Bible studies themselves, because I love what happens around the tables, and um, even more than the video or whatever, and I and it's important that they get into the Word of God. But I've just watched time after time lives can be transformed by some of these women come and they don't have a lot of of women friends, maybe mm. maybe just acquaintances at work or or in church, and but those times around the table when you're sharing needs and and asking for prayer and and sharing what God's done during the week. I've just seen women begin to connect with each other and form friendships that last far beyond the Bible study, mm-hmm. where they continue to get together and uh, and to connect with one another or continue to go to maybe the same Bible study uh, season after season so that they can see those same women and sit at the same table. And, and God does amazing things through that. And then the other thing is I really, um, I love, girlfriend relationships and talk time, and I see this, I have two adult daughters, and they both work, and families, and busy, and I just see, and and I see this with other women, you know, young women, um, even in my church, that they don't, I've had women say to me, younger women say, oh, you're so fortunate that you've got these friends uh, that we do things together. We're very intentional. You know, we get together probably every at least every two weeks. Hardly ever let a two weeks go by without getting together for coffee, 
and we get together and just eyeball to eyeball. We mm-hmm. don't do it on <laughs> we don't do it on social on media. social media. <laughs> we just get together and share. And you know, we just catch we just call it catch up time. And we go to lunch or we just we want to be in each other's face. We want to mm-hmm. be in each other's lives. And we all know that we are there for each other. And um, and I have I've had a lot of young women say we don't have that we're just so busy mm. and I think you know we were busy too I know we live in a techie time and so everything's kind of gone to that where you know everything's by you know Facebook or social media and or texting and but there's nothing like that eyeball to eyeball mm-hmm. you know FaceTime and I and I think that even now as we're going through this thing with the coronavirus and, you know, people staying home and isolation. And um, there's going to be a real craving of that, maybe even more to have that, you know, sometimes you just need Jesus with skin on across the table from Mm, you. So, so, so true. It's interesting. So I'm a single mom and um, part of being able to raise my kiddos, their dad passed away in 2015, has been a community and a tribe and knowing that I wasn't called to do this completely by myself. And so I know that in my own story, it is incredible to be able to have that, you know, women specifically, but also men as well in my life to where they can pour into my kids and love in, you know, love on me and help me with things. It's like, we were made to be the body of Christ. We were, he made us to that. He didn't make us for isolation. And yeah, as we're talking about the coronavirus, um, any insight, any ideas, Jennifer um, or Jenny, what uh, you would say to keep continuing community and or start building community in this time? What would you what would you say to that? Well, I think that you I, I think you have to work at it. Mm-hmm. I don't think it comes always comes easy. And um, that you have to make time to do it. And um, I know with the relationships I have, we've made time to do it. And I have this one circle of these four friends that we do that regularly. But then I have outside that circle, there's another circle of, of friends that we may not meet all that often, but we still do. And then mm-hmm. I have a whole other, you know, some friends that I've met through the, like, sewing community. I, I, I sew, I do a machine embroidery, and I've met a whole group of women that um, that aren't all Jesus followers, aren't in churches mm-hmm. that God has put in my life, and that's been awesome too. And to and to begin to um, be friends with these ladies, you know, to kind of get out of my out of my church rut mm-hmm. <laughs> and to put me with a whole different group. But I I think it. I mean, I think you have to be intentional because mm-hmm. you, and you have to be aware that the enemy wants you to be by yourself and Absolutely. to think you have to do it by yourself. And you are so right about needing community, and we need each other. And we, you know, my husband and I have friends in our lives that that um, that God has just made us like mamas and daddies mm. do. You know that um, that we've been like they maybe they've had terrible relationships with their parents, or they um, you know they don't have people that are that are older that have been believers for a long time, and they're to speak into their life and just love them. I mean, one family that that um, young family that we love so much, and their son um, has even, uh, he's in a difficult situation, and he, and he, um, you know, he's, he's just a teenager, and he asked my husband, he said, can I call you grandpa? Mm, and, um, and my husband's like, yeah, you know, and it's like, God's just using us 
even as a couple right now in people's lives, that we do need each other. And the lie of the enemy is that we don't. Mm-hmm. And so, so I think that right now the enemy really thinks that he can, that um, he's got free reign to really do that in people's lives during this crisis that we're seeing. Mm-hmm. But I really believe that if the church will stand up and that we have an opportunity to move in just awesome ways to mm-hmm. our communities, to whether it's our neighbors or whatever, to just say, hey, we care, we're watching, we love you, what can we do for you, with no agenda, mm-hmm. you know, about like, you know, we're going to give you the track to come to our church when it finally reopens or whatever, mm-hmm. but just to just to be genuine, to really genuinely care for people and to, to love them. But anyway, that's, you know, I'm, I really love that when I can see women connect and become, um, you know, I mean, I, it's really good for men too, mm-hmm. but... For me, that it's the women thing, the girlfriend thing. I think that the girlfriend thing where you can just have fun with one another and and laugh. And I love to laugh, and I really am so thankful. God really gave me um, uh, a lot of joy. And from the very first time, when after the first brain surgery, I really cried out to God, and I said, Lord, this is so hard, but please don't let me lose my joy. Mm. And I'll tell you, he's so faithful in that. He has given me so many funny things. I mean, I love <laughs> funny stories. I I know that, I mean, I'm the kind of the jokester with my friends. And um, if there is anything that's just quirky and weird, I'll find it and laugh it. about it. But it is. You know, he's given me so much material. Mm. I mean, the funny material's really oh, out there. Yeah. You don't have to search real hard. You know, so yeah. I I love that. That's awesome. Well, girl, man, this has been such a precious time. I know for me, and I know for everyone that's listening, and I know people are going to want to connect with you. So, how can they do that? Well, I'm on Facebook. You just search Jennifer Leeson. Um, my email is ralgen Lee at Comcast.net. It's R A L. J-E-N dash L-E-E at Comcast.net. And um, I'm also on the Mid-Valley Women of Christ Bible Study Coordinator page or on the uh, Mid-Valley page of our own, I mean, our website, so... I love that. That's and for those of, that. for those of you that are not from Oregon or from our area, because I know we have listeners actually now from all over the world, which is awesome. There is a, a group, a community here in Oregon that um, is just pouring into women. We do Bible studies together, praise and worship night. So that's what she is referring to. And I'll put links about that so you guys can hear more about that. But thank you so much, girl, for your time. Thank you again for your transparency. And thanks for sharing your story with us today. Of course. Thank you for asking. Man, what an incredible interview. I hope the wisdom that Jenny shared with us today was impactful for you. I know it was for me. I was thinking about all the things that we talked about, what it looked like to trust God when you don't know what's happening next, what it looks like when you're wrestling with your fears and your emotions and how to wrestle with the Lord in that and how to trust Him even in the pause. So much to take away from today. Friend, if you are loving this podcast, then the best way to let us know that is by giving us a review. By giving us a review, it allows us to keep bringing you more content each week. Also, don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you don't miss an episode. Well, we can't wait to share another story of God's redemption next time. But until then, lovelies, keep living brave stories for Jesus.